Welcome to this episode of the Tez Mag Debrief. Uh, today we're going to be looking at the 27th of November edition of Tez, which is, as always, a fantastic edition of Tez. I am joined today, as always, by Gronya Hallahan, senior editor, writer. I can all be around. senior editor. Make me senior editor. Yes. Hello. I can be senior editor. And, and now, Classrooms to Care Homes champion. If you haven't downloaded your resource pack, please do. Um, it's all over our Twitter and it's already got thousands and thousands of people signed up. And we've also got Danworth International Editor. Hello. So let's get started. The first uh, feature we're going to look at is the cover feature. And I'm going to talk to you about this one. Um, it arose really because of the concentration on cognitive load theory, which for those who are um, unfamiliar with it, underpin so much of what is happening in education at the moment um ofsted love it the department of education love it loads of teachers love it and it basically means that uh kids are quite easily distracted and they can only hold so much in their brain uh, working memory at any one time and uh so as a teacher you need to minimize the other stuff that's trying to get into their working memory and maximize the number of chunks in that working memory that are concentrated on the task. That is an entirely simplistic explanation, but uh, Gronje, that's, that, that's basically right? That is basically right. And so that theory had a problem that kids tended to learn naturally outside the classroom. So away from this direct instruction that um, CLT says we need, kids do learn to talk they learn to walk and and people were saying well how can you be right john sweller in australia if this these kids are learning uh and naturally at home and david geary an american professor came to the rescue because he has a theory and it's relatively complex that we are primed um we 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 are set there is a framework in our brain that means that we have evolved to naturally learn certain things which he calls primary knowledge and there are evolutionary novel things like reading, um, new, some like some aspects of maths, not all, and um, other elements which are secondary knowledge. And schools are primarily concerned with secondary knowledge. And um, what happens at home is primarily primary knowledge. And so CLT had its answer. The reason kids need CLT to underpin teaching in schools is because kids don't learn that stuff naturally how true is that theory john morgan who's an excellent excellent journalist delved into this and you know went into the history of the world basically to find you know how natural are we at learning and what aspects of learning are we natural at and i think what the result of that feature is is, is a fascinating um, exploration of the human mind would you agree i would yes yeah emphatic it, <laughs> <laughs> it was really interesting um i particularly enjoyed the stuff about the this idea of things that we're, we're primed to naturally do and learn and i it, rem, it reminded me of the piece that i wrote about apologies all mm. those like two years ago now when um we looked at the evolution and the way that we, we formed groups and the way that we naturally have to learn to apologize in order to keep like society cohesive and people together and that's how you we, we evolved by being a strong group and you needed to have an apology to be a strong group so it's I, th I think it all it all makes sense it's all quite logical and I think it's an it's an interesting read for anybody who's ever wondered why do we learn what we learn and how do we learn it are you saying you're a you're a geary supporter because we must make it clear that 
this is almost an unprovable theory, right? Like you can't prove this, that it's correct. It, it, it's, it's, and, and indeed there's two or three academics in the piece saying this is completely wrong. You can't think of the mind in this modular way that, you know, it comes with a, you know, like your old Acorn computer used to come with Minesweeper. Do you remember, do you remember am I showing my age? Yeah. No, Minesweeper is still a thing. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, you know, you know, your Acorn computer came pre-programmed with stuff and then you had to go out and buy um, Counter-Strike and FIFA for, for your computer. <laughs> you know, Geary's essentially saying that, you know, we've come primed with certain set of stuff and that the rest of it we have to be taught, which is, you know, it's, it's controversial. I know for certain that I don't know. And it's interesting to read about it. I think you can't, it's, I think it's interesting to hear different people's ideas it doesn't necessarily matter if you if you read every word and think, yeah, definitely. At least it makes you think about it. Well, I mean, I think any feature that starts with think, talking about the Paleolithic era and, and saber-toothed tigers and hunters and you know this, we haven't really explained that the feature talks about this. Literally, we're going back to the, you know the dawn of humanity and how we how we learned the evolution, you know, how we evolved to think. But I have to say, I'm, I'm certainly willing to put my colours to the mask because I it makes a lot of sense to me that we would have elements of our brain primed for a certain learning from an evolutionary point of view. Um, and in the same way that animals do, you know, you don't, no one teaches animals to do certain things. You know, some animals are born fully able to do things, though their parents immediately leave them when they're born, but they know what to do. They know how to survive in a sort of, they don't know how they know, or they don't know why they're doing something, but they're just primed to do it. And so I think there probably are elements of, of the human brain that, that you're certainly reading the feature. I was quite sort of compelled by the idea that, yeah, that makes sense. There are some things that we are sort of ready to learn on being born and the other things are the secondary things which is a good point is it? we don't need to know about longshore drift or anything like that to survive in geography or the battle of Hastings. you don't need to know that as a human animal should we say but we can learn it because we've had the right kind of brain and that's why humans have evolved to become where we are in the on the planet's you know top well predator whatever you want to call it but you know it, it seems to make sense to me there are these two tiers of learning the interesting uh, there's an academic in there who says you know is this the mind's prime to learn certain things or is this the mind is just primed to learn? And when you're in a situation where it's about survival, you do learn it. So if, if reading was critical to our survival or longshore drift was critical to our survival, would we more naturally learn those things? And I guess having kids changes your opinion because I don't think my kids would have learned to read even if it was essential unless I was directing it in some way. Um, it's... But I think they probably would come up with some form of com communication if That's they true, weren't yeah. taught yeah. how and there's a really interesting study that um a group of deaf children who weren't taught sign language they made up their own sign language to so they could communicate with each other and that kind of thing so i think and when you think about all around the world there's ways of writing and communicating with making marks on a surface so then yeah I, I i think i think the more you think about it the more it makes sense and I guess, the, the, you know, you may say, well, why does it matter to teachers? You know, there, there's an academic in the piece who says, you know, actually, it doesn't matter what's innate. But actually, it, it does, because it does, it, to a degree, determine pedagogy. And, you know, if you do believe a child is capable of working with minimal instruction, I mean, that is a pedagogical approach that does work in some places. And I think it's, it's, it goes into the debate about progressives and traditionalists in the sense that, you know, how much instruction is needed. And if you argue that we're not primed at all to learn secondary knowledge then certain teachers or groups of teachers will say well 
we need complete direct instruction. You can't leave it to chance because these kids aren't naturally going to learn. Whereas another academic in the piece says, well, actually, you know, just because they're not primed to learn it, you know, she agrees with Geary on, on the basic delineation of the two types of knowledge, but she says actually play-based learning and minimal guided instruction still works. So it's quite a complex topic. Mm. And I think that's what makes the feature so interesting. Well, I, I certainly think a, a teacher in this can take a lot from it to then think about and ponder in their classroom. But it, it's such an interesting feature. It's like you don't even need to take it from a teacher point of view. Like you can read it as a reader or you give it to your, your partner and say, look, read this. You'll find it interesting because it is so fascinating, this idea of why we learn to learn and why we do it. I think that's what I love about this feature is that it, it touches everything you said, but it also is a cracking read. You know, it's a really, really interesting topic. I don't think you have to come away with a definitive, oh, I'm going to change my teaching style or oh, I've been doing everything wrong. It's not going to say that to you, you know, overt, no. overtly. it's just about, wow, the human brain is so mysterious and so interesting and we're still trying to puzzle it out. And I think teachers are getting quite a tough time in the press at the moment. The, the, the feelings towards teaching is quite antagonistic. And I, I, when I read it, it just felt really proud that you, you work as part of a profession that studies this in depth and you're able to teach classes of students. I don't know, it's, it's, it's a really nice read from that point of view as well. It makes you really think how just it, crucial teaching is. Well, check it out this week's, in, in this week's edition. And, and again, big shout out to John Morgan for taking an incredibly complex topic and making it not just a, an accessible read, but an incredibly entertaining one too. So let's go to feature number two. And um, Dan, I don't know whether to start by introducing you or giving you a high five or maybe doing a, some sort of little dance. Mm, yeah, or an impromptu rap or something about me. And I don't know my... if I can do an impromptu rap. No, maybe. don't. Let's not do that. I'm not, that's, yeah, let's that's not, not where that, this podcast yeah. needs to go. I'll explain why John is saying all that. It's because the feature we're looking at is about how to greet your pupils as they enter into the class. And it's sort of based on this idea that fairly recently over the last few years, we've seen these sort of um viral videos and so forth of teachers greeting their students with sort of ever more elaborate and complex and creative you know high fives and fist bumps and all these kind of crazy things and they're brilliant videos to watch they are sort of they do put a smile on your face and you do sort of think oh that you know those children presumably really enjoy turning out to that class um but obviously the feature of saying like okay but does that actually have a real impact does it matter if you don't do that and actually is just something as simple as saying the student's name and saying oh good to see you today does that have an impact and the research sort of suggests that, yeah, just having a positive greeting on arrival is good. You don't need to do a crazy elaborate routine, but um, similarly, if you do one, it might help too. And I didn't really have a sort of major takeaway from that, but I just thought it was again another interesting thing that a little touch here and there, you know, just saying the students' names, they come in. And there's one student who says, apparently, you know, when they were greeted by their teacher in a really friendly manner, in a way they aren't, they weren't always greeted like that. It really stuck with them and made them more engaged in the lesson. Maybe they were more on task for longer. And that seems like a little thing that you could do just to start making your, your classroom arrival into classroom more sort of um, beneficial to everyone. I like the research that said it was like a reset. You know, mm. the baggage of the previous lesson had gone and it's about saying, okay, welcome to my classroom. You know, this is my domain. It's, it's a, you know, let's be honest, it's about welcoming someone into your environment. So there's a power play there. But also it's about saying, you know, whatever happened before this, we're, we're okay. We're, we're starting afresh. What did strike me, I don't know if you said something like this on this, Gwanya, is that, you know, how many schools make kids line up outside already? 
before they go into a classroom. Yeah, so that's quite standard, lining up before you go in, because it's, it, it's all part of that calm transition, which Dan and you just touched upon, that's really important in a school. And if you let children go into the class without lining up beforehand, then you, you have that sort of, they're coming in, in drips and drabs, and you don't have a clear start, and the teacher might be dealing with somebody in the class, but something's kicking off in the corridor. And corridors are a really important place in the school because you want them to be calm and peaceful. It's where a lot of bullying happens. So it's important the teacher is outside the class, standing at the door, greeting the students for that reason too. I think, I mean, it's not something that's going to come naturally to everyone, right? Like, you know, you see these videos and, and as Dan said, they are, some of them are amazing. Like uh, there's, a, there's, a, um, there's one, a guy called Cairo Adams, who's one of our writers who had this amazing high five on his door. So when the kids came in, they sort of high five the piece of paper hanging up and it's a great video as well. And, you know, but that's his personality. And you, you think, okay, if you're sort of a slightly introverted teacher, you know, does it matter if you just say yeah, good morning or um, you know, shake their hands? Does that formal type of greeting have as much impact and as you said dan it seems it, it does it's just a case mm. of making the effort i guess yeah and i'm sure there are ways you could do it that aren't you know like you said over the top and, and brash but still have a very nice that makes the pupils feel like both welcome into the classroom but also that and i think that's very important in that transitional moment because i think transitions in school is in that moment of moving from one thing to another very when you're a child they're really clearly marked like you know like oh, 11 25 i get break and that, yeah. so you really look forward to that moment of break and you're sort of really living and then you know oh at 12 o'clock it's double physics and then and those sort of time moments really sort of stay with you so if you if you the arrival of that moment then becomes something positive rather than kind of, oh you know i think i would just change your whole brain and change the dynamic and i suppose each teacher will have their own way of doing that but yeah i think saying literally saying hello to every pupil as they come in and you know it's probably better than just standing at the front in silence and waiting for them to sort of sit down well unless that's your sort of persona is one of sort of standards and I expect silence on your on arrival which I guess maybe is a different type of behavioral thing yeah I think you're probably right I mean what would your greeting be guys I think I I think I'm quite introverted I think I think I'd be quite restrained I think I'd good morning and be slightly awkward about it but um I can imagine <laughs> I can imagine Dan doing something slightly zany <laughs> well I didn't I didn't I always tried to I definitely always said hello to every student when they arrived at the the brief stint of lecturing I did it's, it's regular reference in these podcasts. Um, but that, again, I thought it was important because they did, they were sort of, the students would sort of come in and they fairly sort of, you know, they just slouch in and go and take a seat towards the back. And I made a point at them and say, oh, hi, you know, Chris, how are you? How are you? How's things? You know, because they all arrived piecemeal. They didn't all come in in one go, which also made it a bit easier, actually, because you could sort of mark them off the list. But yeah, yeah Gronje, you must have good examples of this, though. Well, I was thinking of Gronje-wise, because she's, she's quite a strict teacher. We've learned this, right? And there are a group of teachers who say, why would I stand at the front of the door greeting them all that's five mm. minutes of wasted learning time and i for oh, me Gronio, no, you just no. you just appear to be that sort of teacher i'm sorry no no because if you get the the beginning part right then the rest of the lesson is just so much better and i'm dreadful for rem remembering names i've got a real problem with remembering who people are and like matching names to faces and i find i i always found that greeting students at the door and looking at them and I would have my class list in front of me and it'd be like, Hi. did they notice the class list? Yeah, you know, yeah. Is it there Easter? And you're going, Chantel, <laughs> nice oh, to see you. The worst time. No, I'm, I'm, I make children tell me stories about why they're called their name to help me remember their name. And it's a bit of a, you've got to make it into a thing, haven't you? So, I have no idea. Why, why are you called Gronya? Oh, so I was named after the, um, the evil princess Gronya who put a spell on Diarmuid and, made him follow her around 
and she it's, just, exactly. it's, an, it's an irish fairy tale my dad thought it'd be a really good name for his daughter so i'm now um, picturing the start of your lessons being some sort of free-form slam poetry no, no, no. So as a homework my, the first homework i set children is to tell me okay. the reason why they're called their name and um if i bump into ex-students in the street they'll be like do you remember i'm amy my dad called me amy because it's only three letters and it's easy to remember it's like yes i did <laughs> cutest kids i love kids but i do think if you get the, the greetings right then the rest of the lesson is just so much more pleasant and easy and you can use it for all different things like complimenting them on their lovely uniform and therefore reminding the other students whose shirts are untucked that they should probably tuck them in and notice and noting like have they got earphones like hanging out of their their shirt so you can like like oh better put those away don't want to leave them out and like you've got to be enthusiastic and i think that kind of looking genuinely pleased to see everybody makes the atmosphere in the class so much nicer and yeah and i think it's nice for the kids to sort of find it funny that you're being like really over the top about it and you're pleased being to see nice them. to them i mean i'd be surprised if you're being nice to me to be fair so <laughs> as a child um so that's another great feature um uh, it's one by chris parr who went and talked to a number of different academics so yeah it's definitely worth checking out so feature number three and we're going to gronya to tell us about gangs in schools but it's not the gangs you're thinking of no. these are the leadership gangs and this is really apt considering we've had anti-bullying week and we've been putting pieces out about um, bullying in the workplace and thinking about teachers who are being bullied in schools because it talks about a type of unpleasant and hostile working environment when your senior leadership team form a gang rather than a team and the piece looks at what it describes as a hostile and uh, where you've got hyper vigilance and paranoia amongst the teaching staff because of the way that the the leadership team are operating and it's a really good piece it's by maria williamson and she's speaking about how you can actually take that situation and improve things and the things that leaders need to be asking themselves and need to be doing in order to make sure that their their leadership isn't descending into gang-like behavior where they're operating as one and making teachers feel as if they're under a lot of unnecessary stress and she does look at why this happens in the first place that sort of high stakes that we have in schools the pressure that are put on senior leaders i don't think anybody is inherently bad or sets out at work, wakes up in the morning and thinks you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna make loads of teachers lives unpleasant like nobody nobody does that and yet we have these situations occurring because of different pressures and you like the first and foremost thing you need to do is make sure you're trying to change that behavior and yeah it's a it's a really really interesting piece and i think people who've worked in schools with leadership teams like this as well as leaders would enjoy reading this piece well what struck me about it is that that, that fine line between assertiveness and getting things done and being a gang and i guess it's 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 very topical because of the pretty patel stuff right she you know she was she, was she found, tells it as it is she was yeah she was found to be a bully and yet the defense of her was that you know if she hadn't done this things wouldn't have been done and you know she had to you know get things done as you say and i think there's a lot of leaders who who want you know who have very short time frames to turn schools around or to achieve results mm -hmm. and so what i like about the feature is that it's not about blame it's not about saying, as you say, these, te these leaders come in to be like this. It's the context they're in is forcing them to be 
you know, hostile, you know, putting it bluntly to, to staff. And, and the fact that even if you think that's going to get things done by being that way, actually it's usually counterproductive. Um, yeah, I think I've read it and think it's a very short-termism approach, isn't it? I mean, yeah. it's a bit like the Chris Patelkin, this idea that, oh, it gets results. It's like, well, it doesn't, does it? Because look what it led to. Yeah. You know, it's led to all this political fallout and all things like, that's not a good manager. You know, yeah, okay, in the short term, something happened. But in the long term, the knock-on effect was terrible. And for managers in a, in a school, I think the situation is exactly the same. It's you may think you're going in and being ruthless and being, being you know, that leader who gets the job done. It's like you're just creating a culture where everyone's unhappy, where they're miserable, where they're anxious. Teachers will leave, retention will go down. You know, and I, I just, I find it really damaging. And I sort of, you know, could talk a little bit from experience in this about in culture where the top acts like that. And it, the, the, the knock-on effect is huge. And I think it's, it's dangerous, I think, if a, if a leader thinks that they're this kind of ruthless, you know, goal-getter. And it's like, yeah, maybe you are on paper, but you're doing a much more damage than you realise and maybe will ever realise to the people who ultimately do the job, you know. The fish, rots the, sorry, the fish rots from the head down, doesn't it? It's, it's that. And we've, we've done a piece before about um, niceness and rudeness catching in schools, haven't we? Like, yes, when we did. If one person yeah. is unpleasant, then... That Emotional means... contagion. I think that was a Dan Worth piece, in fact. Oh. Yes, that's right. That was about a year ago now, yeah. yeah, yeah. I love that piece. And I think it's, it links to this, doesn't it? It's that idea that it, if you behave like that, then all that's going to happen is that unpleasantness is going to spread elsewhere and people will be unhappy they'll be unpleasant to their students in consequence and they'll probably leave mm. is Which there is a flip I... side to it though where sometimes a leader has to be assertive and do we as teachers do we have to be cautious about when we call out a leader for a gang mentality i.e do we have to you know it's an easy accusation to make oh you know they've called me out on this mm. you know it, it's i feel like it's unfair so they're behaving like a gang and i think there's there's it works two ways isn't it we have to recognize that a leader is accountable and you you know there's an accountability structure there it's when it oversteps that mark and i don't know how we set where that mark is in a school i think you know you know in, inherently and i think a lot of what being an adult is, is is sort of trying to put context around things and understand things but sometimes you know and you know when someone's a good leader who in that moment is saying to you you need to get this done or that wasn't good enough. And you feel it in a way of, yeah, they're right. And I, I will do better. I will get that done. And that's fine because you know that that was a one-off thing. It wasn't this pattern of repeated, low-level, unnecessary, you know, nitpicking, trying to catch you out, sending emails that don't need to be sent, that kind of thing, you know? And you, tell, you, can, tell, you can always tell. And a lot of us, I think a lot of us in all areas of life spend time trying to make things seem right in our minds. But if you know, and that's why I think this piece is interesting for teachers as well, because I think if you read this and thought, you know what, this, the, the people here, they're going too far. They're acting a bit like it's, it's become a gang. It's become problematic. I expect they will know in their heart of hearts or something like that. Mm. But also you're right. They need to look step back and say, sometimes that email was fair, actually. You know, we do need to step up our game. But I think it's about trusting your instinct of where that line is and what you choose to, where you choose to put the line as well. Because some people can tolerate more than others. But I think that's, all, you know, that's going to be very personal, isn't it? Mm. And it's relationships. It's like you say, if somebody you've got a good relationship with says, actually, here you fell short of the mark and here you need to improve, you'll listen to that person because mm. you trust them. But when it's a person who's new to the team, that makes it more difficult. If it's somebody who you haven't got a positive relationship with previously and then they say something that's completely justified because of what's happened in the past, it's difficult to take that instruction. Mm. So we don't come, and we don't come to schools, we don't come to, our, to work 
completely devoid of any history. We bring all of our past baggage with us wherever we go. And I think it's, it's really important to be mindful. Can you be too kind? I don't know, maybe there's that, there's that other way as well, isn't there? Where you let people not get away with stuff, but if you don't push people to be the best they can be, are you doing them a favor? Probably not. Like part of the role of a manager is to get the best out of your team. And that's, that will also bring you happiness in other ways. So is, is that not the same as a teacher as well? Like a teacher will be hard on their pupils, but when they do a good piece of work, when they really sort of pull it out of the bag for everything, they'll say, fantastic. That was so good. You know, you really deserve that A you got on that, you know, and leaders surely need to do the same. They need to, they can be tough, but they also need to be pleasant and, and positive. And if they don't do that, then the, the other stuff doesn't work because it's like all we get is the, is the do better, do better kind of mindset. I think um, there'll be leaders out there reading this piece who are perhaps feeling, Christ, am I, am, I, am I in a gang? And I think if that's a useful check and they shouldn't feel guilty about that, they should just say, okay, it's a big step to, to recognise there's an issue. And Maria does present some stuff there, you know, some tips there about how you get yourself out of that hole. I, I would say any leader who has that self-awareness to think that question probably isn't in a gang yeah because they're gonna they're, they're a good person because they're gonna oh, stop and think i think i think though i think good people can find themselves in that position i i i can think of um friends that i've had who've moved into leadership and then behaved in ways that they themselves didn't appreciate when they were in please don't name names I'm not, <laughs> no, friends of mine like people that i really care about and yeah. they they've struggled with moving up to leadership i i honestly don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and thinks i'm gonna do a really bad job today it, it happens and mm. it's it, sometimes it's just years of experience that like they can look back and say, you know, the first few years of, of being um, at a department or leading here, it was awful, but it got it got better. And yeah, I think I think we can all all probably do better in the way that we treat other people and try and be kinder. I feel like that needs some really like emotional music in this <laughs> section because that, you know, that would be good, actually. We'll pit our uh, amazing video editor if it, you know when he's editing this, we'll, I think we need some. I think we need some emotion there because that, that, that sounded like a, you know, those amazing videos of uh, the speeches at universities that celebrities give and then everyone <laughs> just rises up and cheers. Yeah, yeah. I felt like that was one of those moments. Gang behaviour and two people gang up on somebody. Yeah, I wonder what that must feel like. We're, we're, what, we're praising you? No, saying how I'm, being co- yeah, I'm being completely sincere. I actually, you know, I mm. know I sound cynical, but I'm not. But I'll yeah. swiftly move on to the last section of the podcast. Um, so Sally Cowago wrote as a piece this week, which I found quite fascinating, which was that she said, okay, you know, teachers talk all day and we like to think that the words we're saying, every one of them is carefully chosen and that, you know, has maximum impact on the learning of kids. And, and they are, but she got her primary kids to, uh, to sort of tally the most frequent words her and her colleagues said. And she was pretty upset when the last, when the 10 most common words came out. She was particularly upset that sanitize came up uh, at number eight, which is you know, completely understandable in the current situation. Um, and she's also uh, number one. She was very disappointed that it was okay. And then she thought, what a bland word to come to be the most common word I say across a day. And actually then she says, well, actually is it because okay means, you know, things were all right. You know, at this time of uh, great change, okay is probably enough and I found it a fascinating you know take on 
these 10 slightly mundane words that come out and the impact they have and the fact that these kids are constantly hearing the same word over and over again. And it made me think, okay, what, what words do I say that I always say frequently? And what does Gwanya say too much? And what does Dan Worth say too much? So, I mean, I'll start and give you two guys time to think, but I'm really bad at saying but in my writing. So there's, there's, you know, on the other hand, however, uh, alternatively, although these are all great words, but you know, Sarah Kalena, production editor, she just had a quiet, lovely word with me where she said, John, you, a lot of your paragraphs start with, but this, but that. And I thought, Christ, what a horrible tick to have. And you know, I pride myself on my writing and it's so unimaginative to keep repeating that same, you know, there's so many good options there that, that mm. I don't take advantage of. Um, so that, that would be my big confession, I think. Yeah. So when I was um, when I was teaching, there was a level language study, and um, students will come into your class and they'll record your lesson and they'll tr- do a transcript and they'll analyse your language in class and Ooh. they compare it as part of the coursework. Well, I wouldn't fancy that. <laughs> it's really unpleasant, but it's funny as well. And I it's similar sort of thing. You say okay a lot and like, all right then, and it's that. <laughs> mhm. Like this, the and it's the fillers. Yeah, the first, yeah. One of the best ways to learn the words that you use too much is to have children and then they learn to speak and then what they parrot back to you is probably what you say all the time. My second daughter particularly likes saying, you're kidding me! (laughs) (laughs) Which is clearly what I say too much of. And she'll say it to her toys, like it's, and when um when my youngest daughter she's only three and when she's playing with her things and you can hear what she's saying, that's she's obviously just repeating the conversations that she hears in the house. And um, yeah, my, my sort of like, hurry up, it's time to go, we've got to go, we're going to be late. Like that, that's mostly what her, her, her little games involve, because obviously we're clearly late for everything. <laughs> How about you, Dan? I think the word I use too much is, is definitely, absolutely. I hear myself <laughs> saying that all the time in podcasts and on trans- transcribing interviews. Um, and I used to do it a lot on radio interviews in a former job based on the radio and TV quite a bit. And it's, it's, it comes from a place of good intentions because it's trying to sound positive and upbeat and responding in the affirmative, you know, like when you listen to radio interviews, people who don't, who are very sort of dour, I think you, you, the listener just tunes out. And so you want to be, so if they say, Oh, is this a big announcement by Apple? You go, absolutely. A really interesting <laughs> decision here that they've done this, you know, or, or that kind of thing. And, um, oh, I drive myself, drive myself crazy though when I hear it back. Cause like, a bit like you, it's like, you don't need to say it every time you can just say, Yes, that's correct. Or, well, what's interesting here is absolutely. It's just like, ah, oh, stop saying it. And I do try. I do try not to say it. Um, but yeah, I don't. I fail quite a lot as well. I think it's part of your charm, Dan. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe I should, shouldn't stop saying it. Maybe I should. I, I say think it, it more. can be your sort of um, your your sort of identifying mark. Um, it's much better than saying "but" all the time, or 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 Gronya's, um "You're kidding me," because that makes her sound like she's in Friends. In uh, what's the cafe in Friends called? Can't even Central remember Perk. that. Central Park. Central Park. We're not going to get into Friends because Gornia's got theories about Ross in Friends, and it. We all hate Ross. Yeah, the, the Ross theories are well known, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get into that on the, on an educational podcast, and unless people want to. I mean, if you do want to get in touch with us on Twitter, and if you want actually, if you wanted to talk, talk us to talk about anything else on this podcast, do get in touch with uh, the three of us. We're easily findable on Twitter. And um, we'll be back next week to talk about the magazine for the 3rd of December, I think it is. 